0: You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. World and These people called marketers and, and advertisement have, have tried to convince us that if we would get the right stuff that then we would be happy. That if you would maybe get the upgrade or the bigger or the nicer or the, the mahogany steering wheel, you know, like if you could get those things, somehow you'd be happy. But the reality is there's no thing that can ultimately make you happy. That, that, that we'll, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, that things can make us happy, but they never keep us happy for long. Like a new car is awesome until it needs new tires, right? Now it's not so awesome anymore. A new technology is great until they come out with the next one. And so there's no thing that can ultimately satisfy us. And we, we have really a hard job because we live in a world where finding happiness is really easy. At least the promise to find happiness is easy. But what we've all experienced, we all have this in common, is that we might find happiness, but staying happy is really hard. And so last week we turned to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus teaches his very first sermon, his very first public sermon. It's a long sermon. It's a preacher. I delight in it that Jesus was long-winded at times. And so the the Sermon on the Mount, just to give you a little bit of perspective, is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So that sermon was three chapters long in the scripture. And when Jesus starts his message, what he starts with is his idea of, hey, I think you all want to be happy, but you don't know how. And so Jesus starts with these statements of blessed be, blessed are, and and what he says is, when he uses that word blessed, it means those who are blessed, those who are fortunate, those that are happy, it even goes as far as to mean that those who are happier than. And what Jesus reveals to us, and this is so awesome, because I think we all know this, is what Jesus tells us that happiness is not immediately accessible. That, that happiness is actually about what we sow into our lives, that we actually sow our way to happiness, and we sow our way to unhappiness. And I think the good news in there is that if we're in a place in our lives where we're not happy, what Jesus says is there's hope, that you can sow your way out of it, that you can begin to put some things in your life that would actually eventually cause you to experience happiness. And what Jesus gives you and what he gives to me is an invitation where he says, come on, I know the way to happiness. I know the way to the joy. In fact, what we said last week is that if we really want to be happy, that we first have to embrace Jesus in his teachings. And what we get to today is kind of this pinnacle point because what I, I mentioned it in week number one, but I really want to hit on it today. In fact, it's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning is this idea that every single person that's happy really has one thing. And every single person that's happy has this one thing, and it's not tangible. It's not necessarily something that you can put on a shelf. It's not something you can put in a safe, and it's not something that you can even hold. But the thing that every single happy person has is this. It's peace. Every single person has peace. They have that, I'm just at peace. And maybe you've met somebody like that that has that kind of peace. And maybe you've met them, and when you met them, you're like, I don't know if I could have that much peace if I were you. Like, if I drove what you drove, if I did what you did, if I lived where you lived, if I was married to him, or if I had to be married to her, or if I looked like that. Like, I don't know if I could have the kind of peace that you have, but there's some people that just have peace, And the truth is that if you have peace, you can experience happiness. But if you don't have peace, you will never, ever experience happiness. In fact, when we talk about being at peace, I think happy people have peace. And I think there's really three levels or three categories of peace that they experience in their life. And so I will throw this up on the screen for you. I think happy people have peace in these three areas. They're at peace with themselves. And what I mean by they're at peace with themselves is this, is they're not warring within themselves. They're not having this internal dialogue all this time, this internal conflict. The people who have peace with themselves are comfortable with who God has created them to be. They're not trying to pretend to be somebody they're not. They're not trying to model their life after other people to get their approval. They just kind of know, I am who I am, and I'm okay with being who I am, that they're at peace with themselves. The people who are at peace are at peace with other people, that you've never met a happy, angry person. You've never met a happy, bitter person. You've never met somebody that refuses to forgive other people who's really happy, that people who are at peace kind of release anger, they release bitterness, they're not seeking revenge, they're not waiting on people to pay them back for offenses and things that have happened in their past, they're just kind of at peace. And maybe you've met some people who have peace in this area and you're thinking, you know, hey, if I were you, I don't think I would forgive them, and if I were you, I don't think I'd let go, and I'm actually kind of mad for you now, I might go beat up that person for you if you're not going to, but there's just some people that go, hey, I just have peace. And the the reason, right, the reason that people can have peace with themselves and peace with other people ultimately is because happy people are at peace with God. In fact, I really believe that when you make peace with God, God paves the way for you and I to experience peace in our lives. In fact, I would say it this way. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves, and it equips us to make peace with other people. That peace with God really paves the way for us. This is crucial. Peace with God paves the way for us to have peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, so I'm going to hit this quickly, but we'll talk about it later. Like, when you have peace with God, you begin to realize that the God who created all things, like the one being, God himself, who is the judge, the upholder of all things, when he forgives you, when he says, you know, the things that you've done, the sins that you've committed, I've forgiven them. The Bible says he throws them as far as the east is from the west. When you begin to understand that God has given you grace and forgiveness, you also begin to understand that you lose the right and the ability to hold on to things that God has refused to hold on to. That you and I lose the right and we lose the ability to hold on to things that God has said, no, that's covered, that's forgiven. That's forgiven that's gone. And it means that we don't have to dwell on our past, that our past no longer determines our future, that Jesus is the one that begins to define who we are and what's possible in our lives. And so as we begin to have peace with God, it actually gives us peace with ourselves. And that one of the big contributing factors to us not having peace with ourselves is really the things that have happened in our past, the things we regret, the things we wish we would have never done, the things that we hope people will never find out about us, That when we hold on to those things, when we let those things just stay front and center in our lives, it really causes us not to be at peace with ourselves. When we begin to realize that God has covered those things, that he's forgiven those things, that he's cast those things as far as from the east as from the west, that when God says, hey, I no longer hold those things against you, then we lose the ability to hold those things against ourselves. In fact, having peace with God equips us to have peace with other people because at the center of Of Jesus' teaching, right? The center of New Testament Christianity is this big idea that my love and my worship for God is also included in how I treat other people. That there's this idea all throughout the New Testament that says, hey, you should treat people the way that God your Father has treated you. That you're supposed to love God and love people. That because you've been forgiven, you can forgive. Because you've been blessed, you can bless. Because God is a servant, you can be a servant to other people that you're supposed to do unto others as your heavenly Father through Christ has done with you. And see, when we begin to experience peace with God, it really does give us the ability to be at peace with ourselves and at peace with other people. Now, here's the big elephant in the room, right? If you say that we have to have peace with God, then that means that there's some sort of conflict. It means that if we need peace, then there must be something that's, that's in the way of that peace in our lives. And there is. And the big biblical word for that, the big thing that would put that conflict between us and peace with God is this idea of sin. So I want to talk about the most unpopular word in the Bible this morning, sin. And I really want to talk about two types of sin. I want to talk about sin just on the big, huge, macro level, bigger than you, like you're part of it, but it's not all about you. And then I want to talk about your sin and my sin this morning, because we really have to address both. So let's talk about this, this, the big the big word, sin. Now, the best way to think about this, the best way to understand this is to think about a nation, okay? So maybe the best way to think about this big, huge, macro level sin is to think about the nation you were born into, Okay. Now, I'm going to assume for a second all of us are United States citizens, okay? So that means if you think about that, you were born a United States citizen. Now, you might feel like that's not fair because it wasn't your decision, right? You didn't get to choose what nation you were born in. Like, you didn't get to somehow communicate to mom, hey, mom, I want to be an American or a Canadian or, hey, Mexico or somewhere warm sounds nice, right? You just were born. And when you were born, they filled out a birth certificate, and that birth certificate is now part of who you are. In fact, you are a United States citizen whether you like it or not. And what happens is is you get all the benefits of being a United States citizen, and you also get all the consequences of being a United States citizen. And it wasn't anything you decided. And one of the things we kind of have to grasp with, or one of the things we grapple with, is things can be not fair and true. Like, we as Americans really struggle with this. We think if things are not fair, then they cannot be true. But they can, there's all kinds of things in our lives that are not fair, but are true. And so as an American citizen, you have both benefits and consequences. I wanna talk about that for just a second. Like, there's some negative consequences with being a United States citizen. The, the, The first one is this, for the most part, not everybody, but if you had to define us as a nation, one of the consequences of being a United States citizen is you speak one language, English, and you believe everybody else in the world should <laughs> speak it, which is why you only speak one language, okay? Like, I, I heard a joke one time is, you know, what do you call someone that speaks two languages? Bilingual, you know? Uh, what do you call someone that speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone that speaks one language? American, you know, and, and you do. Like, we, we tend to speak one language, which is tends to be frustrating because if you're like me, you know people who speak more than one language, and what happens is, is they talk about you in front of you in another language, so you just can't understand. And if you meet people from other countries, they tend to speak one, if not two. I one time met somebody that spoke five languages. They were born in Europe, and they said, hey, we're surrounded by other countries. So growing up, my made sure we knew German, and we had to speak French, and I learned to speak English. And, and you go, hey, I, I can't even speak like one language right. I just tend to make up my own words, and like you speak multiple languages, wow, well. and so there's some consequences that come with that. I want to be as sensitive as I can be, but also as bold as I can be. One of the consequences some of us face right now is you have a president who's been elected and you might not like him, okay? So you could say that's a consequence. Like from time to time, every four to eight years, we elect a president, and there's never been a president on the face of the planet that had 100% unanimous yes, Right? Some people are really, really happy, and some people are really, really upset. Well, that's a consequence of democracy, that from time to time, the guy or the gal that you voted for might not make it, and the guy or the gal that you disagree with makes it and becomes our president. And so you could say, hey, as part of the consequence of being a United States citizen is from time to time, people get elected that I don't absolutely agree with. Now, here's where I want to be a little bit sensitive and a little bit bold. Here's the deal. I get it, okay? I get it. Some people are really, really upset about who got elected, okay? And, and that's fine. You, 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 part of your benefit of American is you have the right to be upset. However, as Christians, okay, as those who claim to know Jesus and be saved by him, here's, here's, here's my challenge for us, okay? Pay attention, always seek truth, and pray for your president, okay? Pray for him. We're actually commanded to do that in Scripture. Like, we're not commanded to complain. We're not commanded to critique but Paul tells us we should pray for those who are in authority over us because we recognize that ultimately God is in the one that's in authority. So the best we can do for it on the local level for leadership, on the national level for leadership, on the global level for leadership is we should pray for those people who are above us and authority in elected positions. If you really don't like the president, okay, I get it. But here's the thing. You should have a one-to-one ratio for every complaint, also have a prayer, okay? Like, like, as believers, I don't think we should complain about our leaders more than we pray for them. If we get out of proportion of that, I think it's a problem. So what I'm asking you to do is pray for him. Pray for the people he surrounds himself with. Pray for our nation, okay? Like, one of the, one of the illustrations that I love is somebody said, you know, wanting our president to fail is like being on an airplane and hoping the, the pilot crashes the plane. Like, that's not smart. I don't want that. I don't ever want to be on a plane and all of a sudden they say, hey, the air masks are coming. Brace yourself. I don't want that. And I don't want that for our country. So pray for your president. Now, here's the thing. I'm a little sidetracked. because You guys distract me. Here's the deal. The reason we're talking about this nation thing, this national thing, Because what the New Testament teaches is that you and I were born into the nation of sin. Okay, That we have a a citizenship and on our passport says we were born in the dominion in the nation of sin. That it's part of who we are. Now here's the thing. None of us like that. That's probably an offensive idea. You go, what do you mean I was born into the nation of sin? Well here's the thing. If you ask anybody who really knows you, if you ask anybody who lives with you or sees you daily they would tell you, yeah, I think you were born in the nation of sin because I've been on the other side of you. Like, you tend to do what sinful people do. And that every single one of us were born in the nation of sin. Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Like, because we're kind of on the other side of this, we forget that there was a time when there was no sin. But we tend to forget that there was a time where God created all things and they were good and there was no sin. And that sin wasn't a part of God's original design. We know that according to Scripture. Paul tells it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that sin's a man-made thing, that the reason that we feel the effect of sin is because Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. And he says, though it came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. That there's this big, huge national kind of idea that because Adam and Eve sinned, all of us are part of this nation of sin. And what Paul gives us is this really big idea that wherever sin shows up, death follows on its heels. That wherever there's sin, There's death. That's why it's possible for us to kill relationships, that when sin enters relationships, we can kill the relationship. That's why it's possible to kill marriages because when sin enters, death comes with it. That's why we can kill our relationships with our kids. That's why we can kill our careers. We can kill our health. Wherever there's sin, death follows. And that every single one of us on this big, huge, macro level that we struggle with sin because it's part of who we are. In fact, maybe maybe if you've ever uh, been around church for a long time, maybe you were part of a Sunday school class that had flannel graph. Or I apologize on behalf of all Christians that if you ever received a track that looked like a $20 bill, and so you picked it up, and you thought it was money, and then you picked it up, and you're like, oh, this is a Jesus thing. And you really wanted to throw it away, but you're like, I can't throw it away because it's a Jesus thing. So then like, you did the unspeakable, and you went out to dinner, and you left it as a tip for your waiter, which is a sin in itself, because then they think they're going to get a tip, and they realize they just got the track that you didn't want, and not, you didn't tip them. Don't do that. That's a horrible way to evangelize, to think, oh, look, they left me a tip. No, they didn't. They just left me literature. But here's the thing. In that is a chart that looks like this. We have a picture we'll put up for you. I did not, I did not make this. I just uh, stole it. Uh, so here we go. So in this national level, you'll see us, that we're on one side, right? Maybe you've seen something like this before, that because we're part of this nation of sin, there's this gap between us and God. God is holy, righteous, pure. He's separate from sin. God doesn't want anything to do with sin. It actually goes against his character, his heart, and his nature, And so there's a gap between us. And because of this national level, every single one of us is born into this. Paul says, because of one man, sin is there. Because sin is there, death is there. And so there's conflict between God and mankind because we're on the island of sin and he's in the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the thing there's all kinds of things that we can try to do to get from the nation of sin into where God is, but none of them work. Like we can try to be really good, we can try to be really religious. We can try to learn, like, Christian lingo. Like, you can try to go to church all the time. You can try to behave your way into heaven. But none of it will work. And what the Scripture tells us is that God loves us so much, that God so desires a relationship with us that he sent Jesus, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that Jesus would bridge the gap for us. So we have another slide for you that shows that now there's a bridge, that we can actually go from the nation of sin over to where God is because of Jesus, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection. This is why sometimes in the Gospels, like sometimes Jesus says some things that we don't, we don't totally understand, right? But Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is asking Jesus, Jesus, how do, I, how do I get into heaven? How do I get my sins forgiven? And Jesus says, well, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, that sounds kind of hard, and I'm not sure my mom would want to do that. And Jesus goes, no, no, that's not... It's not what I'm saying. That Jesus says what happens is, is in order for us to go from the, the kingdom of sin, the nation of sin, into the kingdom of God, we have to be reborn. Like we need a new identity. We need a new passport. We need a new citizenship. We need a new identity. We need to be completely new so that we can get out of one nation or out of one kingdom into a new kingdom. And what the gospel tells us is that through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we could be forgiven of our sins, that our sins would be washed away, that our sinful nature would actually be dealt with, and we would receive the righteousness of Jesus so that we could join the kingdom of God. Now, all throughout the New Testament is this kind of language, but we tend to miss it. In fact, Paul is telling a church, a church in Colossae, all about it, and he says it this way, In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, he says, he being Jesus has delivered us. Now for us, when we think about the word delivered, we think about the mail or we think about Amazon, right? Coming to your door. When Jesus was talking to this first century people, when they heard the word delivered, they don't think mail or Amazon. They think being delivered from Egypt. Like they have a completely different picture than we do. And so when they say, he delivered us, they're like, oh, he brought us out. Oh, he ransomed us. The word they would use is, he rescued us. So he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And so domain would be a kingdom. It would be a ruler that, that rules over with authority over his people. So he goes, so that Jesus has rescued us or delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. That on this big, huge national level that affects every single one of us, that if we want to move from sinful nature into having peace with God, what has to happen is we have to have a relationship with Jesus. A relationship in which we see him as our king and as our savior. Paul gives us the instructions. He goes, listen, if you want to do this, if you want to be at peace with God, here's how. Romans chapter five, verse one and two. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, there's only one way to do it. The only way that you can truly experience peace with God is to enter into a relationship with Jesus where you believe in him, where you put your faith in him as your savior. And the big word that he uses is justified. And the word justified isn't a word that we technically use all the time, but it means to be declared righteous. It would be like standing before a judge who can say guilty or innocent. And because the judge says innocent, you're innocent. He claimed it. He spoke it over you. It is now true of you. So it goes, when we're justified, when God says, hey, because of my son, because of your belief in him, I no longer see you as a citizen of the dominion of darkness, but I now see you as a citizen of the kingdom of my beloved son. Because you've been forgiven and made clean, you are now pure. You are righteous. You've been made clean. See, what's funny about that is you go, hey, Paul, I don't don't know if you should say that about me. You've not met me. You, You don't know what I struggle with. I think what Paul would say to you and me is say, I don't have to know you. If God has declared you justified in his son, then you are justified in your son. He goes on, verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now I want you to see this. Paul says you have access by faith. It's not access by good works. It's not access by trying really hard. It's not access by getting really religious. It's not access by wearing church clothes. It's not even access by going to church 52 times a year. It's access by faith in Jesus. There's one way to get access, there's one way to get peace, there's one way to get salvation. And the way we would say it, maybe the way we would summarize it is like this Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. That if we really want to have peace, listen, we have to get this. If we really want to have peace with God, it begins with faith in Jesus. And like some of us have been trying so hard to get God's approval. Some of us have been trying to behave our way. We've been trying to talk our way or serve our way or give our way. We've been just trying to, bring, to get to God and Paul goes, no, 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 no. Good works don't matter unless your heavenly Father has declared you righteous. Your goodness doesn't matter unless your heavenly Father has declared you good. Trying to talk like you're saved doesn't matter unless... Your heavenly Father has deemed you saved. And peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. That Jesus deals with this big, huge sin on a national level that he would actually remove us. He would erase our citizenship and the dominion of darkness and give us a brand new passport, a brand new identity, a brand new place, and it's the kingdom of God. And we only get that through Jesus. Now we have to talk about ourselves. And so we go from this big, huge national level to the small level to talk about your specific sin, the things you do, the things I do, the decisions we make, the things we say, the things we know we should do and we didn't do. The best way to think about this, I think, is to think about your family growing up, okay? So think about your family growing up because here's what happened, and I know it happened in my life, okay? Okay. So I know it'll probably happen in your life. And if it didn't happen when you were a kid, if you're a parent, now it's happened. And if you are like in the teenage years, 20 years, it's happening, okay? So, so just follow me. But here's the thing. You were in your family, and at some point, you began as a child to have conflict with your parents. I think they call that high school, okay? But at some point, you begin to have conflict with your parents, And the reason you begin to have conflict with your parents, you've either experienced this, you're going to experience it, a parent or you're experiencing it, is because you want to do something and your parents give you the answer you don't want to hear and the answer is no. And so what happens is, is because you want to do something and your parents stand in the way of you doing that thing, what you begin to think is that your parents are the enemy. Okay. And so what happens is you miss out on the piece. And all of a sudden, there's friction. And listen, as a parent, you've experienced this, right? I have young kids, and I've experienced this, that I can choose to do one of two things. I can choose to do what is right for my children, knowing that it will disrupt the peace in our home. And the reason it will disrupt the peace in our home is because they won't like it, because they'll be mad about it. They'll be mad at me about it. Or I can choose to say yes and save the peace But know that sooner or later, it will cause trouble down the line for them. And we've all experienced this. That as a parent, you can tell your child yes, or you can tell your child no. And depending on your answer, depending on what you do, it could wreck the peace in your home. And the tension that every single one of us face as parents is do we do what's best for them and sacrifice the peace? Or do we keep the peace and say yes and know that there will be trouble for our children down the line. Now, in high school, you experienced this, right? Because you had friends whose parents said yes to everything. And so you had friends that had no curfew. You had friends that their parents would let them do things that your parents wouldn't let you do, and you just simply thought it was unfair. But Billy can do it, and she can do it, and how come they, and they don't have to be home by 11. And because you, as a high school student, you didn't realize this, But your friends had parents that cared more about the peace in their home than they did the goodwill of their children. And so you knew parents that would say, hey, oh yeah, have all your friends over. Oh, you want the credit card? That's fine. Oh, you don't want mom and I to be home while you have your friends over? That's okay, we'll leave. Oh, You don't have to clean up after yourselves, just have a lot of fun. I just want you to have fun. I want your friends to have fun. I don't even think your friends are good people, but the house is yours. Mom and I will be gone for a while. Call us if you need anything. You had friends that had parents like that. And you were upset because your parents weren't like that. Your parents were like, you can have two friends over, you'll buy your own pizza, I want to know what movie you're going to watch, and mom and I are watching it with you. And you just simply thought that was unfair. But here's what's true about every single good parent. Every single parent, their love is too strong to simply go along. Their love is too strong to simply go wrong. That your parents go, hey, 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 like, mm, no. This won't go good for you, so I'm, I, I just can't go along. I love you too much. And the reason I tell you all about this, we talk about this, is because God's love is too strong to simply go along in your life and my life. That what Jesus tells you and me, what he tells us in the scriptures, is that, that we'll never fully comprehend who God is and what he's like. That how in the world could our limited, infinite mind truly understand God who is creator, eternal, limitless, infallible, like he created like 5,000 different types of bugs, you know, like just like there's like 5,000 different types of beetles, and like we're going to understand that guy. And what Jesus says is, here's the best way to understand God who you'll never fully understand. Understand him is a good, perfect, loving, heavenly father. That the way you should think about God is as a heavenly father who loves for you. A God that loves you so much that he can't simply go along. A God who will say yes to some things and say no to some things. A God who will establish boundaries in your life because he knows what's on the other side of the boundaries. A God that has a will and a direction for your life because he knows what's the other way on the other side. And see, one of the things that happens in your life and my life is that we lack peace with God because of the sin in our life. And because God loves you too much to go along is because from time to time, like a good parent, God dings your disobedience. And what happens in your life, in my life, is all of a sudden we begin to understand that God wants A for our life, but we don't want that for our life. So we go against it. That there's things that God says to do, and we're not sure we want to do those things. And there's things that God says don't do, and we're not sure that we don't want to do those things. And so from time to time, the reason that we don't have peace with God is because God shows up in our lives and goes, <clears throat> we're not at peace. See, I have a will, and I say no, and what's happened is, is because I stand in the way between what you want and what you think will make happy, you've deemed me is the enemy. That God actually knows, like a father, that he would send his son to die for us. Before we were ever born, before we even had thoughts about loving God or being obedient to God, that God would send his son to die on the cross for our sins, that he'd rise on the third day having power over Satan, sin, and death, offering you and offering me a relationship with him. And God the Father says, listen, I've sent my son so that you can have faith and forgiveness and peace. But here's what I know about you. You will continue to dabble in the dominion of darkness. That there will be times that even though I've given you a new way, even though I've offered you life, you'll desire what will eventually kill you. And what God knows about you and what he knows about me is just like we did to our parents. There's times we think, God, you're my enemy. God, you stand in the way of my happiness. God, I have to get around you to get what I want. And the good news about God is he knows that. And he doesn't cross his arm. He doesn't turn his back from us. He just knows that there won't be peace until we turn around, and come back. And that one of the pictures Jesus gives us of our Heavenly Father is that he's a Heavenly Father that waits upon his children to come back. And see, the reason that some of us don't have peace with God isn't because it's on the big national level. That's already been dealt with. The reason that some of us don't have peace with God is because there's this personal stuff going on. We're just kind of not sure that we want to go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. In fact, John says it this way. We've been talking about John a lot this Christmas season. And John who knew Jesus best, John who knows things that you and I still have questions about, John who experienced Jesus in ways that, that we, we only could hope to experience, he says it this way. He's an old man when he writes 1 John. He's an old man, and he's recording this stuff for us. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, he's talking about our relationship with, with God. He says it this way, if we say we have fellowship with him, I want you to see what John talks about. He uses this word fellowship. It's, it's about relationship, intimacy, that we're he is with me and I am with him. He goes, that's what the relationship's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about fellowship. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, being God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice truth. You go, come on, John, that seems... That seems kind of harsh. And I think John goes, yeah, I'm an old man. I don't have time to play around. Here's the deal. I was with him. Like if we say we have relationship, if we say we have peace, if we say we have relationship but we choose not to walk with him, if we choose to walk in darkness, then we lie. Because we're not practicing the truth. Because we're not walking in fellowship. Because we're not holding his hand. We've chosen to let go and rebel against him. And John says, I, I just don't want you to lie to yourself. If you're not walking in fellowship, if you're walking in darkness, then you lie. And the problem isn't God. The problem's us. And our heavenly Father desires for us to have peace with him. And God loves you and he loves me so much that He's, his love is so strong that God never says, yeah, Whatever. Just do what you want to do and I'll be here. That God from time to time tells us no. And from time to time, he calls out our sin so that we would see it for what it is and return to him. In fact, John says it another way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not. See, now this is important because here's what John's saying. John is saying that you and I cannot hurt and hate others and at the same time have peace. Because you can't do it. He goes, if your peace is about your relationship with God, then listen, you have to know that to be at peace with God, you also have to be at peace with yourself and others. And you can't claim to have peace with God if you hate and hurt other people. You can't do it. Like, those aren't in the same realm of possibility that you can't hate and hurt other people and say, yes, I have peace with God, yes, I have peace with others, and yes, I have peace with myself. That peace with God begins with faith in Christ. And when we use that word faith, what we mean is to put our weight in, to put our trust in, to put our confidence in who He is and what He's done for us. That to say, I put my faith in Jesus means I put my trust in His works, And what he's done and not in my works and what I've done. I think the gospel writers would tell us that this is how we are born again. That we put our trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive us for our sins. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. But at the same time, I also know the crowd well enough here so that most of us in the room have already done that. That when you were a child or when you were at camp or with your parents at a young age, maybe you went to church or were part of a youth group or uh, maybe, maybe for some of us, if we were totally honest, we'd be like, I, I've prayed that prayer and I've asked forgiveness not once but like a 100 times in my life because I just want to be sure. And see, maybe one of the reasons we, we do that so often is because maybe some of the reasons we don't know for sure is because what happens is is we're in but we still don't have peace. And Maybe the reason we don't have peace is it's not because we don't have faith but it's because we're not walking in faith with Him. See, our peace with God begins with faith, but peace with God is sustained by submission to Christ. But I talk to believers all the time that go, "I'm not sure I'm in. I don't know if it took. I don't know what I need to do." And they go, no, "No, no, you've been saved. Like when the judge has deemed you justified, there's nothing that makes you unjustified. That He's justified you. The problem is relationship." The problem is obedience. The problem is following. As a believer that as we grow to be more like Jesus, there's this attitude in our life where we say, hey God, whatever you say, the answer is yes. Now tell me what the question is. God, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? Like who do you want me to love? How do you want me to serve? That the more we say yes to him, the more we would actually feel at peace with him, with ourselves, and with others. See, if we really, really want to experience happiness, we first have to experience peace. And so here's the two questions to think about. Have you made peace with God? Have you been saved by Jesus? Have you been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if the answer is yes, then that's awesome the answer is no, then I think that's your step today to go, hey, Jesus, I think today's the day to put my trust in you, to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. But here's the thing, if your answer is yes, you go, yeah, I've done that, but I still don't feel at peace, then here's the next question. Are you at peace with God? Are there areas of your life where you're telling God no? Are there areas of your life that you know what he wants, but you're choosing not to go with him? Are there sins that you're allowing to take place in your life, going, yeah, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway, because that affects your peace. And here's the great news, that Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father is a good, good, loving Father. That He actually stands before you and He stands before me with open arms going, I came to give you peace. Now just come on. Just return. Just come back. I want to deal with your guilt. I want to deal with your shame. I want to ease your fears, and I want to give you peace. So the question is, have you made peace with God? And are you at peace with God? And if you say no to either of those things, and let's deal with those today because the thing that every single person has who is happy is peace. And peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.